0: It's just amazing that I can get to see you like this, Jim. It's a, it's
1: a, it's a modern miracle. I, if someone had told me, you know, 30, 40 years ago that we could be sitting at each other talking across the globe like this, I would have said, you need to check yourself in somewhere and get some help. Funny you mention that <laughs> because I,
0: I feel that there's a lot of people that need to check themselves in. Uh, some, sometimes I feel that we're surrounded by them, but that's a, a, another issue altogether. In, sure. any, in any yeah. event, uh, there's so much going on in the world. And I have a lot on my heart, actually, that I, I'd like to kind of air today. And I'll tell you why. Because the background of um, Pashat Vayishlach, which I know is a favorite of yours, because you have, you are very, very uh, invested in the whole research, the whole subject, the whole understanding in modern terms of, of the, um, the eternal face-off between Yaakov and, and uh, Esau... Everything comes to a head in this week's Torah portion of Parshat V'Yishlach yeah. with the meeting of Yaakov and Esav. And that kind of spirals into future generations, their, their um, <clears throat> relationship, you know. And of course, their, their meeting was preceded by, by Yaakov's meeting with this strange person. He was yes. left alone. He was left alone with a man who struggled with him until dawn. One of the most, um, um, I don't know, the most unusual uh, descriptions in all of Torah and one of the, again, another of the exceptions to the rule that we have been encountering so much in the book of Breshit and Genesis of something that does not have any simple literal interpretation. It's impossible to interpret the incident of Yaakov's struggle literally. Who was mm-hmm. it? Was it a yeah. bandit? Was it a robber? Was it a highwayman? You know, a person doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't say to the person that he attacked after struggling the whole night, you know, <laughs> release me. And then he does. Yeah. And then the person who was victimized doesn't say, not until you bless me. <laughs> the whole thing is, yeah. is beyond words. And, of course, you know the well, you tradition. Know, that, I, was, I was
1: surprised. Uh, the Rambam, uh, I, I had missed this somehow. The Rambam actually says he believes it was all a dream. Right, a, a prophetic dream, and I, for somehow, never encountered that before. But that's a, I, I. If we have time, I want to talk about an article I read by a, a theoretical physicist who wanted to dabble in some neuroscience science. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he. I'll talk about how he shows that it's the dream, and it, what happens in the dream is actually showing how in dreams. The function is really to sort out the memories and the experiences of the day, and the, and the mind decides which are important and which are not, and, and does a sorting process, and the idea of keeping a memory and, and showing you, you, uh, this, this idea you have in the dream, this experience of not forgetting it, is, is attached to the, the detail of Yaakov going back over for a vessel,
0: they might have forgotten, right? So anyway, back. I want to hear back. that. That is absolutely amazing. And of course, <clears throat> there is the element of uh, of uh, some degree of prophecy or divine inspiration, mm-hmm. possibly in a dream as well. That's the whole problem with dreams: is that it's impossible to separate the chaff, because they are they're caused by um, all sorts of things, and yet they also could contain an element of some sort of. Higher vision, since the soul is basically released from the body during that time and is able to reconnect with its source. But yeah, I've I've heard about that, the Rambam's (coughs) uh, take on on this whole biblical incident, and and that makes a lot of sense as well, if it is um, also a prophetic vision. And again, the beautiful thing about Torah study uh, that all of our uh, all of our listeners know (coughs) that are serious Torah students is that all of these dimensions of interpretation are all true at the same time. Yeah. And the whole idea about the pardes, about the orchard, about pshat, remez, drush, and sod, about the simple interpretation, and about the illusion, about the exposition, and about the secret inner meaning, they all exist simultaneously. Just like Hashem's voice at Sinai splintered into into so many different uh, words at once, you know, uh, it's, it is the, the, the above time and space, the whole concept of, of Torah being the manifestation of Hashem's Ratzon, His will in this world, and therefore, all of these levels, they don't contradict each other. You know, they all ha- they all somehow coexist. But Yaakov's encounter with the the, per- the this person who to cut, to cut to the chase, you and I understand as let's say the archangel, the he- <coughs> the heavenly emissary, the the heavenly officer, as it were, of the spirit of Esav. You know the the struggle has eternal implications because Yaakov is struggling with Asa all throughout history. The force of Asa in the world is uh, something that um, needs to be clarified. You know, and then and then all of of the, Jewish history is basically re- reflecting this struggle, reflecting the whole the whole face-off with seven until we come to the Haftorah, the prophetic reading of this week's Torah portion, which is the short prophecy of Ovadia, who was yeah. actually a convert from Edom, and it was given to him, who had, who had great um, um, dedication and self-sacrifice, and he, and he hid a group of prophets at a time of danger, and the whole thing is that he basically, it was given to him the prophecy of the future of Edom, which doesn't look good. No, but then, <laughs> but then again, but then again, I think that, I think that um, when we read in this prophecy about Avodah, about Adam, and you know the end of it is uh, talking about <clears throat> Israel's um, return from exile, and and he says on Mount Zion there will be refuge, and it will be holy, and the house of Jacob will inherit those who had dispossessed them. The house of Jacob will be fire, the house of Joseph, a flame. And the house of Esav for straw, and they will ignite them and devour them. There will be no survivor to the house of Esav. I think that this is also a um, representative of of the of the fact that 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 everything that the prophets criticize in Hashem's name about Esav and Edom is a, a spirit, you know. Because today, for example, we are a witness to the fact that there are very amazing, powerful, dedicated. God-loving souls that are coming out from that world, as it were, and embracing yeah. Hashem and embracing the Word of God from Jerusalem, embracing Torah, you yourself, if I may, if I may say, are, don't come from an Israelite background. And so many people that are so near and dear to us that are so dedicated to to Hashem and to Torah and to Israel. So it's almost as if it's like, it's a klipa, you know? The, that That spirit is like a... Is like a husk, and there's there is a certain separation, and so I, mm-hmm. and, and so it's true. The this prophecy of of Adi is very severe, and harsh about the future of of Esav. But on the other hand, I think that there's a certain kind of process of sifting that's going on, a certain kind of choice almost. And I think that that, if I just can say this one thing, and I give it over to you, this I think is reflected very beautifully in the prophecy of Haggai. Because Haggai says. Um, and this is a very famous idea. For thus said Hashem, Master of Legions: There will be, w- there will be, one more. It is a small one. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the precious things of all the nations will arrive here, and I will fill this temple with glory. Said Hashem, Master of Legions. I think that that I, this is this concept of literally Hashem shaking the shaking the world like a like a tablecloth, like you grab it by the four corners and you shake it, and the crumbs fall out, the fine things come out. And I think that what we're seeing now is this process of clarification and sifting, whereby the finest things, the the beautiful souls from amongst the nations, are coming out of the klipa of Asav. And all of this is extremely relevant and extremely pertinent, extremely extremely uh, timely in this week's Torah portion, because somehow every year I find, when it comes to this Torah portion and the confrontation between Yaakov and Esav, there seems to be a lot to talk about in terms of Israel's stance with the world and, yeah. and, and, um, and the Jewish people's um, <clears throat> stance with the world in terms of the rise of anti-Semitism and all, and all sorts of things that just make it seem as if this struggle is going on until the end of time.
1: Yeah, well, you know the in tandem with last week's Parsha, when we spoke of the uh, the four angels on the Sulam, the, the this this spiral staircase, if you will, and how it was prophetical uh, hint of. Uh, in fact, if you read what the uh, sages say, they actually count the number of rungs that that each angel ascends before they fall. Or descend or go down. It's not really a, a fall, and we all know that that Esau's angel, the angel of Edom, rises up and out of sight. And uh, is it an o- ovadia? Uh, one of the prophets speaks of uh, Edom's fall from the heights. So I was thinking about that, and and uh, how you know the eventually. And I I think for people who don't understand the prophetic nature of, of Edom is that, you know, and you spoke of me coming out of this. It's because I've come out of this, I've, I've come out of, not completely, it's something that, that we have to fight growing up in America, or even Europe, is a Western mindset, a worldview that has come down to us from, from the, the Greeks and the Romans, and the idea, and this is what's really wild here, even the idea of democracy as being the ultimate way to govern, um, because we're going to find out that that when Mashiach comes, it will not be a democracy. It'll be a theocracy with a a personage that is very much like a king, if not an outright king. Right, and so the and and people who've been watching this podcast or listening know that I'm fond of of sort of saying that you know I. I I often reject what we hear in, in modern culture, in movies and songs. And I just heard it in a movie the other day. Someone says, what does your heart tell you to do? You know, never, never regarding the idea that maybe your heart isn't in the right place just yet. If you, haven't, if you, if you still hold on to Western values and you cling to Western values, you're, you're, you shouldn't listen to your heart because the heart is deceitful above all things. The Tanakh tells us.
0: First of all, I hope, I hope it's very clear, but I'll just reiterate it. When I said that about you coming out of Asaph, <laughs> I meant it with love, affection, tremendous yeah. admiration and, and regard, because you yourself, this is the way you usually introduce yourself. I mean, this is this is um, yeah. how, Hashem, how Hashem works in the world. Um, people look at that word theocracy that you mentioned, and and with the knee responses, response, it's like it came like a dirty word like here in Israel mm-hmm. now there was election results so like all the journalists and all the opposition and all the leftists are talking about oh, god forbid it's going to be a theocracy which of course it's not going to be but what does it mean yeah. anyway even if it w- even if it was basically doesn't that mean like that god is at the top of the cracy <laughs> That's like there's bureaucracy yeah. there's democracy so at the top of the cracy <laughs> at the top of the administrative pyramid is basically a god consciousness as if that is like the worst thing in the world, as if that's we're going to be driven back to the Stone Age because people are actually talking about God and his rights, as it were, and the and the plan for creation and the plan for, for, for man's betterment and for bringing light into the world. And that's really what Mashiach is all about. Yes, it's he is the king of Israel, and he is the one that is entrusted with the redemption of the world. And in the meantime, the fight that's taking place in our... Torah portion when Yaakov was left alone, which by the way, that itself, the whole concept of him being left alone, extremely evocative, because it reminds us of the prophecy of Bilam in the book of Numbers that they are a nation that dwells alone, you know. So they so the, so he's left alone, and the fight is taking place until dawn, and that basically is an allusion to the to the dawning of of the redemption. So it's obviously an eternal fight, and it is basically. Um the the whole incident of the struggle is one pr- prophetic vision uh that will of this kind of face off that will last until the end of days. Uh when the angel saw that he could not best Yaakov, he, he wounded him where? And uh, the the Sciatic nerve sciatic I believe nerve. it's like it's like the yeah. hips the hip socket right which is
1: yeah. it's called the the gid hanasheh Hanashe, right yeah which means which is from the same root as forgetfulness yes, which sir. is very important very important in the aspect that i just mentioned about about retaining memories in your dream Retaining an experience in your. Go ahead. I don't want to derail the conversation. I don't want. I
0: don't want to forget about that. I want to hear. I want to hear yeah. about that. But 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 the thing over here is about the wound, is that which eventually he was healed from in this in the narrative. But you know, it basically is interpreted as as an allusion to the reproductive reproductive capacity. You know, the lower region of the body. It's like he struck him there. He could not defeat him, but he struck him. Basically, when it comes to the children, when it comes to the future of the children, he, pla- he placed the children in danger, as it were, the future of the nation, right. and that can really be seen as like the the temptation, the threat, the 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 um the issue of the you know the challenges of of raising children with the Western in the Western world with Western values being foisted on the family or, and, and supplanting the traditional family values. And the, in other words, the, 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 when he saw that he couldn't destroy him, he sought instead to, to um, entangle, to trap, to destroy even the future generations. And that is the biggest challenge that we have in terms of, of um, protecting youth from the, from the Asavian influence is what, is what I'm trying to say. That's really what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it, go ahead, you want to ask? No, I want, go ahead, I want, I want you to tell me about the, the dream idea. Oh, well, the, the, uh, I was
1: reading an article, uh, uh, not surprisingly, one of my favorite websites is called Quantum Torah. So, this particular uh, theoretical physicist, he's an observant Jew, he's a, he's a, a rabbi, he's also, holds a PhD in, in this, uh, this science, and I, I was looking at my notes here. His name is Professor Alexander uh, Polterock. And he's, he's brilliant. He's always talking about things in the Torah in terms of science. And this time he talks about actually neuroscience. And he, he reminds us in his article, which is called um, Jacob's Struggle with Man, a Metaphor for Neuroscience. And in it, he talks about the research that shows us that uh, in, in the dream state, one of the things that and, and how important dreams are by the way, we see how important they are in the Torah all the time, but they're also they're also important to your actual mental health. And they have found in studies that people who are deprived of sleep, uh, they suffer more because because of sleep deprivation also means dream deprivation. And it's and the idea being that if you don't get, a healthy uh, dose of dreams every night, then you actually one of the things is your mental health will fail, but you will also become uh, you'll become forgetful, it, it will affect your your long term memory and even your short term memory, and the idea being that he he, he likens Yaakov crossing the Yabok River and going back over for precious items. To, to hold on to, the things that he might forget, but that were still precious. That is the mind at night in the dream state, taking all the experiences of the day, and and if you will, sort of taking them like they were uh, pieces of mail, and being thrown in a cubby hole, and that uh, you're sorting them out and saying, this, this is important, I need to keep this, and this experience is not so important i could forget this and ma- you're making room in your mind and what happens is if you don't do that enough you your mental health will be affected and he and he points out that that the uh, the idea of of making memories and holding on to them is actually one of the levels of interpretation of this experience all through the night and the fact that it happens all during the night and and uh, I, I wish I could remember what he said about the Yabok actually represented something else. Well, I'll tell you, in, 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 in,
0: K- in Kabbalistic literature, the Yabok represents a certain uh, level of transition, mm-hmm. a certain kind of passage. In fact, there's a very classic work um, that talks about um, death and mourning and the customs pertaining to preparation for death, and, 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 and it's called the Yabok passage.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then he also very good. He also mentions this idea of the uh, the, the the gid uh, Hanashe. and the I didn't realize that it actually is the same root. And it is. It's it's, it's in the name given to one of the sons of Yosef, uh, Manashe, because he did he forgot his troubles, while you know while he was in Egypt. So he remembered that with with that. And where do we all through the Torah? Uh, Israel is often enjoined by Hashem to to don't forget, don't forget, always remember. And so I think that aspect of the experience of Israel is is uh, something that is referenced heavily in this experience of the dream, and that even the angel would like Yaakov and his offspring to forget, forget your mission forget your values, forget the way of Torah. So wow. I just wanted to add that to the, That's, to the uh, That
0: is also amazing, considering the deep secret of, of remembering and forgetting, because we are in the month of Kislev, and we are soon going to be observing Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And the sages talk about how the, the main thrust, as it were, of the battle of the Yevanim of the Greeks, against Israel the expression is that they they caused them to to forget their torah that's what it was all about it was about this uh, the 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 what's what's called the darkness of greek wisdom which was actually something that most people consider to be very illuminating but it was all, it was but it was about believing in only that which can be physically demonstrated only that which is material rooted in the material so they 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 tried to cause israel to forget uh, I just have to say, all this talk about dreams reminds me of the Everly Brothers. I would just not be true to myself and my and uh, our common <laughs> our common love of the music of our day if I did not think of um, that beautiful song, which I actually dream. know some some yeah. secret tradition about uh, about who that was really written about. But I'm not going to mention that on the broadcast. You can, everyone can write to me and ask me the secret of the Everly Brothers' dream, dream, dream. But anyway, I want to say something right. else. I want to say something about um, what you mentioned about the going back for vessels. You yeah. said precious vessels, actually. What ha- what happened was, and that's not even mentioned in the Scripture itself, it says that in chapter 32 of Parashat Vayishlach, it says in verse um, 20, 23, but he got up that night and took his two wives, his two handmaids, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Abok. And when he took them he, and had had them cross over the stream, he sent over his possessions, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. So there is a concept that the sages talk about that he he went back because he did forget something. And this is not mentioned overtly in the verses at all, but Rashi tells us that uh, this tradition that he forgot, and the expression is small vessels, and he makes it actually sound that they were insignificant. Yeah. He doesn't say precious. He makes it sound as if they were just like... Uh, I used to say like Tupperware <laughs> plastic objects, you know, something like uh, kind of inconsequential that he went back for, and there's all sorts of uh, uh, of different kind of um, approaches to to what that means exactly, what it represents, and how it shows us that the the great tzaddikim are are very careful, you know, with with waste, and they don't they don't want to waste any, anything, and and so he went back for these for these items. But I once shared with you, if you remember, there's a, a very very beautiful tradition about those small vessels that he went back, which is virtually unknown to most people. But I received it from a a very great mentor. And that is that um, on the ark, on Noah's ark, as you know, um, Noah's dove came back with an olive branch. Right. And that olive branch had olives on it. And according to this idea, Noah actually made some olive oil out of those few olives that were on the branch. And that jar of oil of olive oil was passed down. And it was passed down to Shem and to Avraham, and it was passed down to the forefathers. And that is the oil that Yaakov had used to anoint the, the, the place, the stone when he woke up. Back in last week's wow. Torah portion, when he woke up from this, the, the the dream, he had that oil there on Mount Moriah, and that's what he used. And he had forgotten it there. He had left it there. And according to this wild and unbelievable tradition, that is the container of oil that was discovered by by the Maccabees, by the high mm. priest on, on Hanukkah that was untainted by the Greeks. This it was way. that very wow. container of oil that mm. kind of connects the whole story of Hanukkah with the story of Yaakov and all the way back to Noach. And the truth is that these days that we're in now also are um, the days that we're reading in these Torah portions about Jacob, about the patriarch Jacob. Yaakov's force, as it were, his his spirit, his presence is very dominant during these days because, you know, later on we're going to read um, when... Yaakov goes down to Egypt, and he's finally united with Yosef. We learn about the uh, the, the period of um, of mourning for Yaakov, and actually, sure. we learn that Yaakov passed away on Sukkot, but he was not buried until Hanukkah. So all of these days that we're in now are kind of like the backstory. The backdrop is the life of Yaakov.
1: Right. Amen. Yeah. And, and what's uh, illuminating, uh, speaking of oil, is uh, after, the, after the wrestling match, they, they, the brothers meet up. And, and this is the thing that always reminds me that everything, you know, my mentor, Vendel Jones of Blessed Memory, always used to say, and when I first heard it, I thought, you know, he said, Torah is prophecy. All of Torah is prophecy. And even, even the, the, uh, the simple things that are described, um, Yaakov tells Esav, he says, go on before me, because he wants him to join him in uh, and, and the journey. And, and Yaakov says, no, go on, you go on before me, and I will catch up with you. I'm paraphrasing. And that is exactly what happened in history, is that Yaakov has, has if you will, in some ways, held back a little bit. Israel has held back the Jewish people also because of experiences, but while Isav has ascended and, and become uh, has become realized in, in world power, in, 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 in cultures, the Roman Empire, and literally the Western world, and now America and Europe. So Esau is flourishing right now, uh, all the while wrestling with, with Jacob, all the time, always, always trying to bring Jacob down into the into the dirt in the mire, and it seems that, as we discussed prior to the recording of this podcast, uh, you know, uh, Esau is is hard at it right now, trying to draw drag
0: Israel down into the mud again. So speaking of, of dragging, um, there's a a verse. Here in the in the whole drama of the struggle that they're that they're having, you know, they're they're it's called wrestling, right? Wrestling, Mm -hmm. and the the root of this word, vaya avak, the root of that word, avak, literally means dust. Yeah. So there's the whole idea that when people fight, you know, when people wrestle, they they kick up dust, you know, Mm -hmm. and the sages talk about this on on the symbolic level, on the the deeper level. That, and the expression that they use is that in this battle, which was like a, a battle of life and death, really, and of the future generations. So the, the enigmatic statement that the sages make is that they kicked da- up dust with their feet, that reached the throne of glory, that obscured, as it were, the, the throne of glory. It's a, it's a very famous uh, statement. Um, there's some verses in, in the prophet Nahum. Uh, in the first um, chapter that state, um, Hashem is slow to anger and great in power, but He will surely not acquit. Hashem, His way is with a tempest and with a storm, and and the cloud is the dust of His feet. And so there's a whole idea that the, the root of a person's soul comes from the throne of glory, this expression, hewn from underneath the throne of glory, and the, and the idea about this battle really, and the concept of the dust being kicked up, as it were, that obscured the throne of glory, is that the battle was about the divine image in which man was created, about clarifying the divine image, and about whether or not it's possible to elevate the world through positive acts, or whether or not, basically, the, the divine image is going to be obscured throughout history. So the, ho- the whole concept of this battle has massive um, eternal overtones. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it seems like that the world, in in at large, uh, you know, this Isavian world that we that we are dominated by right now, uh, wants to obscure and and make and make Israel forget, make the Jewish people forget about their homeland, about Israel, and it's become it's become a, a thing in the left, and I'm I'm almost weary of talking about it. Of delegitimizing the, the the people of Israel
0: and the Jewish people, and well, there's no better time to talk about that really than than this week's uh, Torah portion in in, um, in the context. So you know, there's so much to say about this, but I want to start from a lighter a lighter point and and build up to it because it's just such an emotional train for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to start by by sharing some items that I have been following this week and how this fits in. So the first thing I want to talk about is UNESCO. Now UNESCO, as you probably know, is um, uh, the UN's cultural body and it is um, uh, the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization It's a specialized agency of the UN aimed at, and I quote, promoting world peace and security through international cooperation in education, arts, science, and culture. So they have this thing, UNESCO, of recognizing things as uh, intangible cultural heritage. And there was a um, UNESCO conference in Morocco this past week so the first item that caught my eye that I thought was very wonderful is that the UNESCO decided that they are going to bestow um, this uh, concept of intangible cultural heritage on the French baguette. The piece of the bread? That's correct, Jim. That's correct. Don't don't speak about it so uh, cavalierly. Uh, the, the, yes, that long, crusty loaf of bread, <laughs> I'm reading from a prepared statement, is a delicious staple of French life. It's been awarded, this is a concept of intangible cultural history, and heritage, is that UNESCO awarded the baguette special protected status. Oh. Okay. Oh, we... Cl- placing it in a culinary pantheon alongside other regional food delicacies from around the world. Okay, so this is this is a UN body that, that recognized, and well, they should, the important status of the baguette. And it's now a protected species.
1: Protected now, as in you you can't we can't eat it anymore. <laughs> I don't know
0: <laughs> this I this I don't know. No one can threaten the baguette I guess with extinction, but anyway, I was pleased that the, that uh, at the same conference. Uh, and again, I, I want to start here because it becomes uh, otherwise it was going to become too overwhelming to me and I'll be too choked up. So the next thing that they recognized as intangible cultural heritage was none other than Slivovitz brandy. <laughs> now, I don't know if you're familiar with Slivri- Slivovitz, but it's a brandy with a, a Jewish a Jewish history. Yeah, It's a plum brandy. And it also received UNESCO recognition, so uh, I, I suppose I shouldn't complain. It's actually associated with Passover by many Ashkenazi Jews, and the reason for that, of course, is because it is made from plums, and it and uh, and not um, any sort of grain. It's also much easier to deal with because it's not grape based. Make a long story short, um, it is. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't Jews who were, according to this article, leading the charge for special protected status of. Slivovitz brandy, but the Serbs in Serbia, where it is actually a mainstay, and also across much of the Balkans, Eastern and Central Europe. So I don't know. Have you ever tasted slivovitz?
1: I I seem to have a hazy memory of a Shabbat morning at a <laughs> uh, with a, a group of Chabadniks studying Torah. Uh-huh. I don't know, if people, if I should tell the story or not. But I mean, I it uh, anyway. The point is, is that we would go around the table and someone would give a little Devar Torah and then when they were through, we would make a lachaim. Right. <laughs> so I think I tasted it so then.
0: Slivovitz is very strong, very, very fiery. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very, yeah. very fiery. Um, anyway, the, this particular article is really interesting. It says, It says, The spirit became particularly associated with Polish Jewry in the 19th century as Jews became prominent in the field of alcohol production and the running of inns and taverns. They found special utility in Slivovitz when it came to maintaining the Jewish laws around keeping kosher, because, again, it's not made from grapes or from grain. But why is it between us that Jews became prominent in the, in the, in the field of alcohol production and running of inns and taverns? Do you know why? Because they were not allowed any anything else, they were not allowed to own land. They were not allowed to be professionals. They were not allowed, basically, to do anything. And they were relegated yeah. to by the by the feudal, uh, the feudal chieftains and lords in that in that feudal system of, of that century in Poland. They were relegated to be the innkeepers on the on the property of the of the feudal chief. So yeah, in any events, good news for the baguette. And good news for Slivovitz. And good to see that at least one UN body is concerned with things of lasting importance. And again, um, traditions or living expressions inherited from our ancestors and passed on to our descendants known as intangible cultural heritage. I'm starting off with that. Because the other other things that I have to share about the UN I found very, very disturbing. Yeah, not surprising. Right. So first of all, um, there is... um, Another agency, the United Nations Human Rights Council, which is a body Uh-oh. whose mission is to promote and protect human rights around the world. So last week, the United Nations Human Rights Council, Francesca Albanese, told Hamas and Jihad officials at a, a conference that they have the right to resist Israeli occupation. Right, so this is this. She is an Italian lawyer. She her official title is Special Rapporteur on the situation of human rights in the Palestinian territory uh, occupied since 1967, and she basically said the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza are what's left of historic Palestine, and therefore. Israel says that resistance is equatable to terror, but occupation calls for violence and creates violence. The Palestinians have no way to resist other than violence. So this United Nations operative is basically not only condoning, but encouraging violent uprising against Israel. And yet it's called a a body whose, whose mandate is to promote and protect human rights around the world. Another aspect of this concept that I would like to touch upon today that it seems that human rights apply less and less to Jewish people in terms of the world's yeah. the world's view about this. So that That's I right. found I found very very um, startling. And then you ba- you ba- so there's the whole idea about if about per, uh, Israel possibly uh, um, uh, considering blocking entry to this particular um, human rights uh, council representative because she is basically inciting to, to violence against uh, against Israel, right? Yeah, she's endorsing it. Right. Yeah. So you balance that with another another item, which is that the United Nations General Assembly voted in favor of commemorating the Palestinian Nakba.
1: Oh, the Day of Rage. The
0: day, Well, it's the it's the Nakba means, I think, um, disaster, and that the, is exactly, ba- yeah, that that yeah. is basically uh, Israel independence. Is is considered um, the the day of Nakba. So these pro Palestinian uh, factors in the United Nations um, sponsored this resolution, basically lamenting Israel's birth. It passed yeah. ninety to thirty, and it is basically this. The Nakba is the is the Palestinian term for Israel's establishment, right? So this is also quite uh, amazing that the United Nations is actually commemorating. Um, the, the creation of Israel with an anti-Israel resolution, which is basically based on a call for Israel's destruction. Nakba basically is, apparently, is an Arabic word for catastrophe, and that's how the Palestinians recall what they call the displacement and dispossession that they experienced during Israel's war of independence of 1948. And what happened then, again, because as you mentioned many, many times, people today do not know history.
1: No, they don't. Which
0: is a a terrible thing. So the partition plan, which was adopted by the General Assembly in 1947, called for independent Jewish and Arab states in what was then British-controlled mandate, mandatory Palestine. The Jews actually accepted that plan, but the Arabs rejected it and launched the 1948 war and lost. So... so, um, so the so the resolution basically notes with deep regret the the um, establishment of the state of Israel, and it's amazing. Like the like the United Nations uh, representative Israel's representative Gilad Erdan said, try to imagine the international community commemorating your country's independence day by calling it a disaster. But it's much more than that because it is basically also a whitewash of history. Because the truth is, as he as he pointed out, as he unveiled in an exhibit at the UN called the Jewish Nakba, at that time hundreds of thousands of Jews were expelled from Arab countries. Their property was confiscated. Arab countries, and Iran, in the 40s and 50s, and that disaster has never been addressed. By, wait a minute. By wait by a minute. You mean Nations. to tell me
1: that that the Arabs living in Israel at that time uh, when Israel became a nation, you mean they weren't they weren't uh, rejected and sent, sent packing? Exactly. hmm. Yeah they, they seem to forget things like that. How many anti-Israel resolutions has I've lost count <laughs> that the UN has, has uh, coughed up in their existence. But don't get me started about the UN. I don't know why we're, we're even allowing them. <clears throat> to even exist in in our there in New York, you know, <clears throat> it's a the U N is a um, a misnomer because they're not, they're not uniting any nations. If they're uniting in the, any way, then I'll shut up. There you're trying to unite the nations against Israel, you know, and I'll. But this is all. Back. I
0: think this is all very much uh, a a um, a repercussion, a, a manifestation of this. Of the whole dichotomy of Yaakov and Esav, yeah, so the Jewish people are supposed to be representing Hashem's light in the world. Whether or not they're always they're up to that job, whether or not they're always fulfilling it, is a different issue. But that is their mandate, and the and the and the effort to um, delegitimize them and to and to and to cast that uh, in a negative light and to and to basically, you know, dehumanize them. It's it's part of this this. Um, Process has been set into motion that the prophets tell us goes until the end of time, until the time of redemption, and that it's basically a question of choice of who identifies with that or not. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and why not uh, talk about the perfect example that has been in the news this past week, that is, uh, you know, preeminent right now in the in the media. People, it's really it's really drawing out those who really feel like they have been given a pass to go ahead and make anti-Jewish, uh, make, make make a lot of, you know, create a lot of rhetoric uh, against the Jews and, and against Israel. So, um, uh, where
0: would you like to start? Do what? Where would you like to start? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, you, you,
1: you've, you've got some amazing points there. So... So at
0: a recent dinner in in uh, Florida, so uh, President Trump hosted this anti-Semitic, I'm calling him anti-Semitic, openly, rapper, Kanye West. And h- with him was this, um, I don't know, Holocaust denier, anti-Semite, Nick uh, Fuentes, Fuentes, right? Um, President Trump claims he did not was not aware of uh, Fuentes' positions. That's neither here nor there. But the point is, it certainly damaged him by by having this uh, the, the, these two together. In any event, yeah. th- then afterwards, um, Kanye West um, appeared on this Alex Jones podcast, which apparently was a, a very very long broadcast. And in this, and in this uh, really crazy interview with uh, with uh, Alex Jones, he Kanye West declared, "Am I allowed to call him there? His official name is Ye now, or something like that." I don't know. Yeah, I don't I can't either. Keep track. So, the artist formerly
1: called Kanye.
0: <laughs> right. So he, he launched into this whole um, declaration of love for Nazis, calling himself a Nazi. His admiration for for Adolf Hitler. He said, and he was wearing this black mask that completely covered his face, and he was ranting about sin and pornography and the devil, and he basically said like that he likes Hitler. And uh, he sees good things about him. He says he invented highways. He invented the very microphone that I use as a musician. You can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good, and I'm done with that. So he was talking about how um, he has admiration for Hitler and for, and for, uh, and for Nazis, uh, adding, I'm done with this classification. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. Anyway, so this has been a very big item in the news um, and I think not so much as far as the man himself who apparently is uh, I don't know you want to say that he has um, that he has mental issues, that he has uh, um, a questionable mental state that as if that's an excuse but that's not even my point. The, the point is really the reaction of people. If you follow yeah. you know the social media talkbacks and the, the world of the comments that people make about it, what you begin to understand is that um, there, is this, there is this mainstreaming of anti-Semitism that's going on in the entertainment world, in the in the world of uh, you know that that is um, that comes to that comes to voice in social media, and it's it's considered you know not only is it considered normal, you know, for a while I remember it was only when people were anti-Israel, anti-Zionist. And and they were not anti-Semitic, as it were. You know that was like the that was like the excuse. Oh, no. That was the yeah. that that was the the garb of anti-Semitism for a long time. It was people would say, you know, I have nothing against the Jewish people. It's a, the problem is about Israel. But now it's like the genie is out of the bottle, and and we're back to the classic Jew hatred that is being basically, like I say, mainstreamed and accepted as perfectly reasonable, and and. Um, and undeniable, and and the things that are said about Jews now, you could never say about anybody else, because the only people basically that are that that are left, kind of like in a, a perpetual open season, that they, that none of the of the progress that's been made in terms of you know, being politically correct and being woke about all all the different people's rights, none of it seems to apply to the Jewish people.
1: Yeah,
0: and I and I, and I this is the mystery I
1: think that that. Seems to pervade the world and has for centuries, and and I think we 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 look back at, you know, we're talking about this week's Torah portion being fully realized in, in the idea. I you know it's this wrestling match, it's this wrestling match of of ideas, of political motives, and again I think that uh, it, it's al- in some ways it's almost necessary to remind the Jewish people that that they they need to, you know, at least at least those who aren't living in in Israel that that uh, you have a home that you need to be in because the world hates you. and our listeners are not among our listeners and viewers are not among those. so we're I'm not pointing the finger at them. But you know, the idea that uh, that the media, that the news media would even give someone like Kanye, and this Nick Fuentes, <clears throat> any platform at all, and um, it, you know, it's it, my only response is, can I get an Oive? You know, I,
0: <laughs> yeah. But um, but in my pointing out all these things out and sharing with you, you know, how disturbed I am about it, I'm not, you know, not asking for sympathy, not playing the victim card, or or anything no. like that at all. I rather, I think it's, I, I think it's imperative for. Jewish people and for those people who love Hashem for the non-Jews as well who are followers of Torah and who are followers of, of Hashem to recognize this historical pattern and to understand that these are these are cosmic forces at work and because it really is about like that verse that I mentioned from Haggai where Hashem says he's going to sift through you know and shake out the finer things from the nations as well it's always a question of choice you know there's a, a thread running through the whole Tanakh through all the prophets that in Hashem's eyes it's always been about quality, not about quantity. You know, it's always this, this holiday of a remnant, you know, that I think that the masses are are, are not even part of the equation. You know, it's a, it's about those souls that are on fire for Hashem, that are souls of light, that want to see goodness in the world, that want to see a sanctification of God's name in the world, that, that stand up for... For for right, you know, it's about those souls being counted and taking a stand, and yeah. and we've been saying that for so long, but things just seem to be coming to a head, you know, and, and to yeah. such a to such a um, an extreme. Yeah,
1: I, I think I think we can draw a direct line from what you're talking about from this idi- idiocy uh, exhibited by by. Uh, Kanye and Nick Fuentes and everybody else that gets on board with them. This is, this is that wrestling match, and this is that angel of Isav touching the, the, the nerve, and it does touch a nerve, but touching that nerve that one of the things it does is it's uh, it's, it's to get the people of, of Israel, the Jewish people, to, to remember, to not to forget their roots not to forget their their connection to torah when it when when the jews in this country become assimilated and they're and they they basically forget the the torah the the uh the the basics of torah and and the basics of belief in god and the belief in their 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 destiny which is to live in israel and to rebuild the temple this is all. That's this is in that wrestling match. This is this is realized in that angel
0: touching that nerve and exactly. wanting Yaakov and trying to, to, da- to and trying to damage the future, trying to damage the future generations, trying to hit basically in that move, as it were, on the symbolic level of tr- of trying to strike the future generations because the thigh is representative of the of the reproductive process. It's basically right. like I can't defeat you, Yaakov, because you're you're too high. You're you're you. What you are, you are the. The choice of the forefathers and Hashem's choice, but what I can do is I can I can jeopardize the, the the transmission of Torah knowledge, the transmission of the knowledge of God. I can jeopardize those future generations, because yeah. because that's the future of of your nation is the future generations, and and I yeah. couldn't agree with you more about everything that you're saying. My position, I think, is not going to be popular, and I've said it before, but. And I know that it's not, it's not uh, something that people want to hear, <clears throat> but the fact, the fact is this, if you, if you strip the whole thing down to its barest components, right? When the Jewish people were sent into exile, that was a punishment. And everywhere throughout the Torah, the whole concept of the galut, of the, of the exile, of the Jewish people taken out of their land, is the aspect of death. It's an aspect of punishment, and it's a, it's and it was supposed to be impermanent. It was supposed to be something transient, and that's Hashem's promise that we that we will all return, and that that is that that is the scenario, and that nothing can change that promise. But the thing is, there's so much about Jewish life in the diaspora today that is like a celebration of victory, as it were, like a celebration of success in the in the diaspora that that has built vast edifices and institutions and that has kind of memorialized that kind of life outside the land and, and it's a source of pride and it's a source of great ego, you know, that the Jews have survived and it's true, it's, it's a miraculous and it's a, a wonder and they've created a, so, a sort of, of um, I would call it a counterculture because it's counter to, to what true Jewish values are and they have, they have they have basically like eternalized that which was supposed to be Absolutely transient, and that which was originally understood to be like completely negative, completely death—it's the death world to be outside of the land. And according to the great sages, according to the mystical insight of how things work, why were the Jews sent into exile? What were they? What were they sent to accomplish in the in the various lands that they were sent to? They were sent to gather up the hidden sparks of godliness. That were trapped amongst the cliquot of the nations, and so in every culture that the Jewish people were were involved in, they were able to do that. Whether it was through through uh, music, whether it was through art or literature, in the different countries that they were in, they they were able to to bring these sparks out. But when they finish that process, then there, there's nothing left for them there. It's like an empty an empty net. They're supposed to come back, and that is right. really the whole the whole problem in understanding. And uh, again, yeah. I, I I know that my position is not uh, a popular one to hear and it doesn't, doesn't win me like a lot of a lot of uh, friends, but the fact is I believe that Jewish life has very little significance outside the land of Israel, not that it's that not, not that it's not uh, worthy, not that it's not uh, wonderful that Jews live everywhere that they live and that they and that they are able to, to survive and flourish, but that's not the goal. The goal is for the Jewish people to be in the land of Israel. That's again, we've said it before, that's what the word Zion means, tzion, it means excellence, because when the Jewish people are in the land that Hashem chose for them, living according to Hashem's will, broadcasting this this resonance of blessing into the world, that brings about a state of excellence for all of humanity, that's the redemption. And until they realize that they're fish without, they fish out of water.
1: And the existential message that comes out of the the aftermath of this wrestling match is really a, 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 such a uh, a pivotal message. It, it's a it's a message for all of us, Jews and non-Jews. It, it, this is the wonderful thing about Torah. This is why you call your your mission Torah for everyone. Is that th- this is uh, this sustains us. These messages. These teachings in that when when uh, Yaakov gets up from there from that wrestling match and he says he name what does he name the place Peniel Peniel the, the idea of of facing God of seeing God's face and when you see God you realize God really does rule the world and and Yaakov finally uh, once and for all got the message and it's a message for all of us that no matter what what god sends our way it's all for the good it's all for our struggle it's it's what's going to make us get up and rise out of the muck is is when we realize that every experience bad, good, or seemingly indifferent, literally comes from Hashem. Tragedies actually come our way from Hashem. This was the hardest thing for me to get hold of when I got into Torah study. The sages tell us that the only thing that is is not, I'm paraphrasing again badly, that is not left up to heaven is free will. And, and so it's the idea is how we respond to everything that God sends our way. That's our own wrestling I, I wrestle with, do I reject, do I, I see tragedy and go, why does God do that? And I reject God, or I embrace God and say, God, it's all from you. And ultimately, it's gamzolotovah. It's
0: all for the good. And that's another aspect of Yaakov's struggle with the angel, because again, there are so many levels of meaning. And one of the levels of understanding is that it's an internal struggle within every person. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly.
1: So we we that's what I hope that everybody can take away. Even even all of the tribulations that we see coming upon, uh, not only the the, the people of the, the Jewish people and what they've been had subjected to, uh, in in the media uh, that continues in the UN is that uh, you know it's actually all for the good. It's going to I think on the positive side it's going to motivate. I I pray it's going to motivate the Jewish people to as uh, you know last week what was the parsha about it was about a dream that saw the connection between heaven and earth that is the temple of god and you know i pray that that my jewish brothers and sisters will will uh, awaken from the dream awaken from the dream and realize this is the gate of heaven this is the place where where god uh, is going to meet humanity. the The interface between heaven and earth is right there in that temple. And please, God, we need one today. And
0: you know that better than anybody, Rabbi. And you're reminding me of the verse in Psalms that when Hashem will return the exiles of Zion, we will have been like dreamers, because we will wake very up good. and, real, and realize that all the all of the experience in the exile was was only a dream as well. As far as uh, your call for prayer, which was very beautiful, I, I want to mention also another aspect of the Jewish experience in the exiled lands, and the lands of exile, in addition to gathering up sparks, what does that really mean? Is the the reciprocity between Israel and the nations as far as um, sharing Torah with the world, as far as being a light to the nations, as far as again, Hashem calling out all of the souls that will listen that want to be in in a covenantal experience. That's what it's really all about. And so that 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 the, like different facets of a diamond. This reciprocity that reverberates through all of the years of exile is really what has brought Israel's mission to the forefront of the world. You know, to share Torah with the whole world, which is what, what we're yeah. all about. Which is what we're all yeah, about.
1: In the in the in the Mishnah Torah uh, uh, in Rambam's. Uh, Mishnah Torah in the uh, the laws of the kings in that tractate it's interesting because it's there if you want to know what the Rambam says about about non-Jews as Noah hides as Ben Noach and the seven laws he says he says it is incumbent upon Israel to teach the nations the seven laws that were given to Noah this is this is how we have a relationship with Hashem. And I don't care if you you don't want to become called a Nohide or not. That's immaterial to me. You can be called whatever you want, but to recognize that we have seven universal laws that that that's all that God requires of us because we're not the priesthood, which is what you are and, and all the Jewish people. And the what's interesting is that that's in that same tractate is the laws of the king. It's it's the it's what a king is required of a king of Israel, and it's the template for the Mashiach. Everything that a king is required, Mashiach will do. And I once asked a friend of mine, a Jewish friend of mine, a scholar, I said, is it a coincidence that the laws describing, Rambam's description of the seven laws and also the laws required of a king of Israel are in the same tractate? And he says, probably not, and I offer this is it not the idea that the more that the non-Jewish world responds to Israel, it will encourage, and it will it will um, underscore the relationship that we have with each other, and I think it will encourage the Jewish people, even those that are a little bit on the you know straddling sure. two that, opinions. That's part
0: of what I'm calling the reciprocity, and and my take yeah. my my take is even is even more than that. I, you know, the fine print of my my commentary and what you said is that I think that non-Jews also are encouraged uh, and are able to take upon themselves yeah. many of the commandments that that actually fit in to the outline of the seven. And uh, there are today many non-Jewish Torah observant people that seek to observe, you know, even more than the basic seven. And it, it's like they, they are more than just. I don't want. I don't. I don't like to just label people like nohides or non-Jews. Just like I don't like the the labels myself for different types of Jews, because what it is is all the house of Israel. It's all the house of Israel is an extension of this, of this, the spiritual roots of Israel that the non-Jews are clinging to, which is again what they—they are revealing who they really are. They are revealing their connection to Hashem, which I believe really comes from Mount Sinai, and that's the whole bond that, that we are exploring and that and uh, and appreciating and 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 the love that we're feeling for each other is our understanding that we are all totally united in in this yeah. whole saga. I want to but share we, one more but, thing, Jim. Go ahead, please, yeah. I want to share one more thing because I, I, I just want to be clear also why I why I brought up, I mean, I started with the Slivovitz and with, <laughs> with the baguette and with the Slivovitz just because I wanted to find some good thing to say about a United Nations body. So I said, oh, here, they're preserving the baguette for all time and they even preserved the plum brandy as well in terms of, uh, what was it called again? Int- uh, intangible uh, heritage uh, item. <laughs> but uh, the other things that I mentioned uh, about... Basically, Israel being on the um, uh, how do you say covenant uh, uh, on the on the scope, you know, like of the rifle of uh, of uh, the crosshairs. War- yes, the crosshairs. The crosshairs. Thank hairs. you. Israel being on the crosshairs, uh, and the United Nations basically being a, a, a device to, you know, to castigate Israel and to browbeat Israel and to keep Israel down, and and which is. Which is the secret of the of the Palestinian refugees after all of these years, and why they still have refugee status is because they're basically a a, a plaything, a tool, a puppet that's being used by these forces to try to destroy Israel. But you know, um, the 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 um, the angst that I that I feel that I was trying to share, as far as you know, like the the human rights representative calling for basically for for. Um, inside you know incitings for 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 you know armed to struggle against israel and and all of these kind of things it, it it's this incredible it's more than hypocrisy it's like this very demonic kind of of um mechanism that's in in place that's being fueled you know by by people like uh, that rapper and, and and by the whole mood that's being created about uh, again you you can't say anything anymore about about groups of people, because that's the that's what's been adopted, you know, universally now, but except when it comes to Jews, it's a completely different set of rules. So, there's one more thing that I wanted to share with you, because it's just so, so shocking to me, and it's really, I, I don't know if you saw it or not, but, you know, for this past Friday, there was an incident, right before Shabbat, very close to Shabbat, um... And I was not far, you know, we were in, in, in Ish Kodesh with our children and I was not far from from the place where it took place. It was very, very close to Shabbat. And basically a, uh, a Palestinian terrorist tried to break into the car of an Israeli couple that was like yeah. stopped at a light, you know. Uh, and uh, so so he tried to enter this vehicle of an Israeli couple in this in this town. And uh, while he was trying to break through the locked door, basically it's attempted murder, you know. So one of the occupants, who happened to be an off-duty IDF uh, soldier, shot and wounded this, this terrorist with his handgun. Then he goes and he runs. The terrorist goes and runs to a nearby border policeman and stabs him in the head.
1: Wow.
0: And in the meantime... Uh, a second officer managed to pull this this terrorist away from from them in a headlock, and he briefly freed himself. It's a whole thing. Tried to grab his weapon. Make a long story short, the officer uh, uh, was able to 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 neutralize the terrorist and and he killed him. But it was a whole struggle, and it all started when this terrorist basically went went over to a car with Jews in it and tried to break into the car and uh and and remove them or attack them and then and then he was shot and then he goes and he runs and he stabs at, uh, an officer a horrible horrible stabbing in the head anyway what is my point listen to this the UN Mideast East envoy whose name is uh Tor Wennesland he was horrified by the killing of the Palestinian stabber and this is what he said he sends his heartfelt condolences to the family of Amar Mifle. He said he was absolutely horrified by the killing of this, of this uh, here, here's this tweet, I guess. Horrified by today's killing of a Palestinian man during a scuffle with an Israeli soldier near Hawara in the occupied West Bank. My heartfelt condolences to his bereaved family. Such incidences must be fully and promptly investigated, and those responsible held accountable. It's like you want. So to, a knife you,
1: in the, the, the knife in the head in the head is just a scuffle.
0: Exactly, uh, and, and how and yeah. the whole thing how it started that he that he tried to yeah. to uh, attack this this couple. My point being, you know that you want to you want to cry out, you want to scream, you want to say something, and it's just it's so. Incredible! This total twisting of reality, this 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 total, you know, um, what would you call it? Uh, whitewashing of uh, of terror, you know. And again, it it, no. it it all comes from the same from the same source, from this this uh, this channel of of this rabid. Jew hatred, and not only is it Jew hatred coming from the United Nations, it's a, it's a total deleg- delegitimization of, of Jewish life altogether and of our right to exist, that a, that a person that is associated with an organization that's supposed to be dedicated to human rights and peace is able to say something like that, when you you see the video footage you and you and you see the accounting of the whole story and is able to to brazenly and unabashedly twist it like that to say that he to send condolences to the to this to this murderer you know would be murderer yeah it's 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 incredible it's absolutely incredible and it's very it's very sobering so obviously to us who live here who face this kind of thing every day it is um also a wake-up call and also important and and also something that I think people need to be aware of and fits into the to the overall pattern that's going on in the world today vis-a-vis the attitude about about Jewish people and Israel amen let's end on a positive note yes uh, I think that what was this statement attributed, wasn't it, to Chairman Mao who used to say there is chaos under heaven and the situation is excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically the summary of the situation is that we are we are all basically part of a tremendous tikkun, tremendous rectification of the divine image that Hashem gives us this opportunity to live in this world and to bring His light into the world and to find Him hidden, His presence hidden in, in all of this. And to realize that we're part of something much greater than ourselves. We're part of a, of a wonderful, beautiful historical process which is basically based on the chesed, the kindness of Hashem in creating the world and bringing mankind to know Him and giving mankind the opportunity to draw close to Him. And we're all part of that. Jews and Gentiles, we're all united in our love of each other and love of Hashem. And these are basically the... The, the characteristics, the indications, the road signs along the way of where we are right now. So it all is cha- chaotic and it all makes perfect sense and is in order really because it all boils down to the free will of a person and, and having the audacity to stand up for what's right and to, and to call out injustice and to stand up for Hashem's honor in this world. And, and that is manifest in the people of Israel Amen. So I thank all of our listeners and viewers for being with us another week, Jim. And of course, my wonderful co-host, Jim Long. Let's bless all of our viewers and listeners with a wonderful week of good news and opportunities for kindness.